0: amen
1: amen i love i love that song that song makes me really close to wishing i was pentecostal (laughs) i heard of a pentecostal church in east texas that outside the front door before their service two hound dogs were just laying there And while the service was going on, the folks got so excited, like I I really wanted to do and kind of get those feet really moving and going around. And in this service, they were jumping up and down over the pews. They were hooting and hollering, raising their hands all over the place. And one hand, doll looked at the other and said, you know, if we acted like that, they'd worm us. (laughs) Well, I don't want you to have to be wormed in 2013 but I saw some of you old Baptists, you had a hard time holding it down. I thought you were going to break an arm or something. <laughs> Thank you. I love the start of that. Because that song reflects a positive spirit that God wants us to have as we come into a new year. In 2013, wow, that's hard to sometimes fathom. We've moved so fast and I was walking and around in Bible study this morning and One comment, one fellow said, I can't believe we're already a week through the new year. It is a new year. And the new year always gives you and I, it's just natural to our lives, an opportunity to think about fresh starts. And people all across the world, it's not just whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Though we have the greatest reason to always set wonderful, positive goals in our life. But it's very natural for people to make New Year's resolutions. And the reason that, whether people recognize it or not, the reason that it's so natural for people on a new year to want to make resolutions is because every person, realizing it or not, is created in the image of God. Now, that image of God, because of sin, has been marred and broken, But the image and the desire to be the very best that one can be is innately found inside of the human spirit. The problem, because of obviously sin, is people always tend in the world to focus our resolutions on things on the outside. You know what the top resolutions are every year after year? They are things such as this: I'm going to eat healthier. Right. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to manage my debt. I'm going to manage my stress. I'm going to quit a bad habit. It usually revolves around smoking or alcohol or another habit. Uh, I'm going to save money. I'm going to volunteer. It's kind of interesting. Those things are always in the world. They tend to go on the outside of our lives. Nothing wrong with any of them in and of themselves but they always are focused on what's on the outside for the world doesn't understand the real resolution is the desire to be like Jesus more and more on the inside. But that ultimate goal, that desire to be the very best lends itself to a desire in 2013 That my life and our lives together would make an impact in this world. And so I want to start with you a walk this morning. And I hope you have your Bibles with you. If not, you can grab a Bible there in the pew rack in front of you. While the verses I use on the screen, I love that you would bring your word with you as you open it up each and every week. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to look... And I want to take you on a walk. We haven't done this together. I want to take you on a walk, walking through this letter of Paul to the Corinthian church. Now, Corinth was one of the great cities of ancient Greece, actually had been in existence for over a thousand years, even before Alexander the Great in about 332 a BC rose up to power, but Corinth was one of the strategically great cities of ancient Greece. In 146 BC, the Roman Republic, the Roman armies came in and they destroyed the city of Corinth. Under Julius Caesar in 44 BC, just shortly before he was assassinated in March of that year, Julius Caesar strategically refounded the city of Corinth. And uh, less than a hundred years later, when Paul visits this city in 50 to 51 AD, where he spends 18 months, the Apostle Paul finds that Corinth has become a major economic city, a major religious center. It is a strategic city now in the Roman Empire. And Paul spent 18 months there following on his second missionary journey, following going into Athens, Greece, and not seeing much fruit for the gospel. But Paul went to Corinth, a discouraged individual. He ended up staying with a couple named Aquila and Priscilla who took him into their home. Paul first started out working as a tent maker with them. And just the fellowship and the work that they did together revived Paul's life. Then he got a visit from uh, one of his colleagues who brought him an offering, and it led him to go back and give his devote full time to his preaching and teaching, and God made a tremendous impact in this city of Corinth, and we read about that impact actually in verse 1. And write it verse 2. It says to us, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. Now I want to tell you, I've looked in this letter. I've studied it in my life. And yet this week and last week as I've been looking and preparing. All of a sudden the name Sosthenes jumped out. And if you could have told me Who is Sosthenes? Uh, I would give you an A-plus with bonus points in Bible trivia. Because I needed to go back and really take a look. And who was this man, Sosthenes, that Paul says, we're writing this letter to you. Well, it turns out this is a man who tells us something with just silence about the impact of the gospel. You go back to Acts chapter 18 where it records Paul's coming and staying there in Corinth and you will find that early on the Bible says that the ruler of the synagogue was a man named Crispus who came to know Christ along with his entire household they were baptized as believers and of course when you became a believer in Jesus Christ it is long enough now that the Jewish people are going to then say, you're no longer qualified to be here in this synagogue. And so Crispus was disqualified and kicked out of being the ruler of the synagogue as a consequence of his coming to put his faith in Jesus as his Messiah. Sosthenes became then the ruler of that synagogue. And the Bible tells us in Acts 18 that Sosthenes... And a group of Jews came and grabbed a hold of Paul and dragged him to a man named Gallio, who is the Roman ruler in that region. And I know that what they were hoping Gallio would do by bringing him before the Roman ruler was that Gallio would end up either beating Paul, throwing him in prison, or even possibly ordering his execution. However, Gallio didn't do any of that. And Gallio said, that's none of my business that he may be teaching something that you all don't like. And he let him go. And these friends of Sosthenes, probably out of feeling embarrassment and anger that they had been brought and it didn't work out, they turned on Sosthenes. And the Bible says they beat him up, his own buddies. That's great friends. That beating must have done him some good because along the way, Sosthenes came to know Jesus Christ. I thought about the impact of a local church, that a man who grew up and had invested his life in a faith tradition where he was told Jesus was the Messiah and he had rejected him so much that he wanted the preacher hurt or dead. How did he come to know Christ? I would suggest to you. That you had in Corinth a group of people along with Crispus who had become a believer in Paul who reached out to this man Sosthenes after this meeting and loved him and showed him grace and forgiveness and did not hold bitterness and helped him along the way. And he saw in them the reality of the gospel. You see, the Corinthian people were used in a mighty way to end up reaching many people For Jesus Christ and what Paul saw in them in that 18 months was a church that had been so wonderfully gifted by God that they had a tremendous impact in the world well Paul then after he left a few years later he gets a report that the church in Corinth is having a lot of struggles they're having internal dissensions and they're having difficulties and so Paul writes this letter to them to address some of the things that he has heard. In the letter, he's going to challenge them. He's going to chastise them. Sometimes he's going to correct them. He's going to command them. A few times he will commend them. But the whole premise that he starts with in chapter 1 is, folks, I want you to know you are blessed by God. He lifts them up. Child of God, First Baptist family, I want us to start 2013. Marvelous things lie ahead 2013. I want to start this morning with a premise to you. How blessed you are by God that God wants you and I to be a church and individuals of impact. And the first thing that we find in being blessed by God and The reason that I can say you are a church of impact is first, you are set apart. You have been set apart for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2 and 3 again. Paul writes to the church of God in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their Lord and ours. The word church in verse 2 is the Greek word Ecclesia. Ecclesia is made up of two words, ek and klesia, uh, meaning the called out ones. Uh, it is the word for assembly, uh, those who are called out of the world to join together as a group. The word church is used in the New Testament 114 times. And of those 114 times, Over ninety times, somewhere around about 96 times, it is used to describe a local body of believers. The word church can be used to talk about the universal church, just like Paul said to Peter, or Jesus said to Peter rather, when he gave that great confession, upon this confession of me as Lord and Savior, the Christ, the Son of the living God. I will build my church. That is the universal church comprising every believer. But the majority of time that the New Testament focuses and uses church, he's talking about a church just like ours. Uh, just like any local church in this city or in this nation or in this world that preaches and teaches Jesus Christ is Lord. And he starts it off by saying some wonderful things about these people of God. Now, some of you may be fans of the radio host and author, a guy named Garrison Keillor. Garrison Keillor is best known for his radio program, A Prairie Home Companion. And Prairie Home Companion is simply stories that he tells about a fictional town called Lake Wobegon. And the famous line in, that he uses when he describes Lake Wobegon is this. Lake Wobegon is a town where all of the women are strong, all of the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. <laughs> That's a great town. <laughs> all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. You know, that's been used so much over the years that there is even a term uh, psychologically used called the Lake Woebegone Effect. And the Lake Woebegone Effect simply identifies and says there is a natural tendency uh, among humans to overstate one's abilities or the abilities of those we love. Now... I promise and I understand that there's not a grandparent in this place that is guilty of the Lake Woebegone effect. When you talk about your grandkids, they're all above average. However, the reality is that that's not true of anybody. How can you have average if everybody's above average? Somebody is. Listen, Paul and Jesus... We're never guilty of the Lake Woebegone effect. The reality is that when Jesus Christ talked about his church and the gates of hell not being able to withstand the onslaught because of the impact that the gospel would make. And when Paul comes and he talks about this Corinthian church as being a blessed church set apart by God, the church... Is not a human organization. The church is properly understood. A divine organism. The church is a living body. Jesus Christ being the head. And the church being his body in this world. When Paul talks about you and I. Being sanctified. He uses a word that means we are set apart by God for special use. Having a relationship with Christ in my heart, I have received the down payment of his Holy Spirit into my life. And every child of God has received the Spirit of God in your life. And because of this, Paul would say other places, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The fact is, is this is not something that we do to ourselves. It's not something that we conjure up. The very verb tense means that it is something God does in our life, and it is a permanent condition. You have been in the past, when you gave your heart to Christ, you were set apart for his special use. And that is a permanent condition in your life. And then Paul says, you are called to be holy the root word of that word holy is the same word root word that we have for the word sanctified you are called to be set apart you are called to be holy but literally the word can also be translated you are saints in fact the verb to be is not in the literal translation so it's a translator's decision paul literally could be saying you who have been sanctified by Christ, you are called saints. How many of you, if I, I don't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you would consider yourself a saint? Well, most of us probably would not raise our hand because the human idea of a saint is someone who in their person is perfect, is wonderful. It never has any wrong thoughts, never speaks any. That's the human thought of being a saint. But the biblical thought of a saint, and the biblical definition is a saint is anyone who has come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It has nothing to do with the outside person. It has everything to do with your eternal position. You see, when God looks at you, he sees you not through the eyes of your own sin, but he sees you in Christ. You are perfect in Christ. God doesn't put on rose-colored glasses to see you. In fact, we might say your Heavenly Father puts on blood-stained glasses to see you. He sees you as perfect, complete, absolutely in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for a believer because you are a saint. That's a blessed person. You are called to be saints. You are set apart for Christ. That's a blessing in 2013. The second thing Paul tells about them is not only you have been set apart, but Paul says you now have special gifts through Christ. Why are you so blessed? Look at verse 4 through 7 when the Apostle Paul speaks about the gifts that they have. Paul says, I always thank God for you because of his grace that is given you in Christ Jesus for in him you've been enriched in every way in all your speaking and in all your knowledge because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you therefore you don't lack any spiritual gift you get that you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed young people look at me Because one of the things that happens when we grow up is sometimes we struggle about who we are and what we can do, and we tend to end up comparing ourselves with others. And for many people, not just teenagers, but many people in this world, there's a real struggle with who am I, what is my significance, and a lack of self-esteem into their lives. And in the materialistic world that you and I live in, it's very normal for people to talk about what we would do if we ended up having a huge inheritance from someone that was unexpected or if we were to win a lottery. And of course, one of my goals is I'm not going to play the lottery. And since I've never played it before, I think I've already accomplished that. But the fact is, many folks will talk about what they will do if they were given something, but they never do anything right now with what they already have. The Apostle Paul wants the believers to know, child of God, you already have an inheritance that is greater than anything that this world offers, and it's better than anything money can buy. You, every one of you, every one of you set apart by God has been specially gifted by God. At the moment you were born again, the Holy Spirit planted in your life spiritual DNA that gave to you a spiritual gift. One or more for your life that will match into your personality. It will go along with your human talents and enable you to be used by God in special ways. It's grace gift that Paul talks about. This grace, this gift that's given to you. It's all given to you within the sphere of your relationship with Jesus Christ. What a, what a word for 2013. What an understanding of who I am in Christ, set apart by him, gifted by him. And Paul says there's nothing that is lacking in your lives. He's talking about in the totality of the church. Listen to me, nobody, not everybody has the same spiritual gift. We don't all have exactly the same gifts. They overlap. But within this room, if we were to take a spiritual gift inventory this morning... And then lay them out. You would end up finding that the top spiritual gifts that come out overall in every person's life... ...would end up matching every spiritual gift that God reveals to us in his word. In this congregation, much less in all of the fellowship of even those who are not here this day. What Paul saw in Corinth was how God had confirmed those gifts in his people... And I see it over and over and over in you in different responses and in the Word. One of the problems that Corinth got was they actually recognized they had a lot of spiritual gifts. And then they kind of got proud of their spiritual gifts. They reminded me of the pastor who was going home after a service. And he felt pretty good about the morning message. And he turned to his wife. He said, Honey, how many great preachers do you think there are in this world? Why does woman looked back and said, one less than you think? <laughs> put, a little, put a little lid on it. Uh, there's no room for pride because the gift is not something that you conjure up. It's something that God gave you. It's a gift, not based on anything you earned. It's based on his measure of favor for how he wants to use you. Sinful man set apart, saved by his grace, gifted for his service. Their abuse and wrong attitude did not negate the fact that they were a blessed church. And you, First Baptist family, you are a blessed church. Everything that God wants to do in 2013, he already has made possible because every one of you, been set aside for his special use. Every one of you is gifted in a special way. And then finally, Paul will come and he says, you're blessed and you are secured by Christ. Look at verse 8 and 9 as he concludes this introduction. And Paul says now, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is faithful. You see where Paul's focus is? Family, I challenge us in 2013, keep our eyes fixed on him. Keep our eyes fixed on him. The author and the finisher of our faith. Many times when people get their eyes off of Jesus and they look at the human things around them, They end up tending to find themselves out of kilter and in disagreements along the way. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He who calls you. The Lord Jesus, he said, will keep you strong and blameless. It's a judicial term. Unaccusable, unimpeachable, free from any charge because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And no charge can be leveled against God's people. We'll be judged not on our lives eternally but on his perfect life and Paul makes this conclusion he says he Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful the man you see on the screen the man named John Tumlinson. John Tumlinson has a picture here as you see on the beach with a beautiful Labrador retriever named Hawkeye. John raised Hawkeye. They spent countless hours together. John was a petty officer, first petty officer at a Navy SEAL. John was commissioned and sent, along with his unit, to Afghanistan in 2011. On August 6, 2011, John Tomlinson, Navy SEAL, was killed in action when his helicopter was shot down with a rocket-launched grenade. At the funeral for John, a wonderful young man that knew the Lord Jesus, I could tell by the history I read and things that had been said, John's funeral was attended by 1,500 people. When John's family came in to that service, they brought his beloved pet, Hawkeye, along with them. Hawkeye came walking in, and when John's best friend got up to eulogize John, Hawkeye left where he was, followed the man, and laid down at the foot of John's casket and stayed there the entire time. And when I saw that a year ago, my heart was moved, as many people around the world were moved, by the show of faithfulness of this dog to his master. And I thought about how the master had been faithful and loved on Hawkeye. And Hawkeye then, in his master's time, showed the only way he knew how, how he would be faithful to John. Our master, Jesus Christ, went to the cross because he loved you and he loved me. He died in action, buried in a tomb, but he did not stay dead and he's not dead today. He rose the third day and he lives forever. And My master, Jesus Christ, is faithful to me. He's faithful to you. My question in 2013, will you be faithful to him? Will you bow with me? That one of God's creatures could show us a picture of faithfulness to our Master. In 2013, I ask you in your own heart this morning, would you set a resolve in your spirit, not for what you will just be on the outside, but what kind of faithful child of God you will be on the inside to be like Jesus? Oh, you are blessed. You're blessed. God loves you and set you apart. He gifted you with special gifts. And he has secured you by his blood for all of eternity. And now this morning, there's some of you that today, you need to start 2013 and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin, but I want you to come and be my Lord and Savior You've never identified a time when you've given him your heart and you can't honestly say that you know that heaven is your home. Today is the day. We invite you to come and pray and talk with one of our ministers. Some of you are already believers, but you don't have a church home where you're living out and using your gifts. Would you be faithful? We invite you to come, and right now, the Holy Spirit of God is talking to somebody's heart that I need to be a part of this church family. And Father, I pray that in this invitation, you'll draw people. Some out of the balcony, some here on the floor. There may be a teenager here in front of me that today is the day to make a decision for 2013. There's some adults that need to be a part of a local family. Father, I pray that we will not go any farther without demonstrating that we have a love for you. It's even greater than Hawkeye's love for John. And God, will be faithful in Jesus' name. Will you stand to your feet? Our staff comes here to stand to meet you. Somebody out of the balcony here on the floor, a teenager right here. God's calling you a family. Dad, you take the step. You take the lead. As the same. Amazing grace How sweet the sun Amazing love Someone. How flowing down From hands and feet That were there to agree As grace flows down In love with me in response. It covers me It covers me Amazing grace. Think about it, sing it out. Is that sweet to you? Amazing love. Now slowing down. The plant that feeds. Now prepare to be like Hawkeye. You need to step out. See? This is your opportunity. You won't go any longer.